good to be here today filling in for the Renaissance man, Robert Davi. You know, I one of my favorite movies was written and produced by and directed by Mel Gibson, Apocalypto. Did you ever see that? Uh, I'll ask my producer, Swade. Did you ever see that movie, Apocalypto? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, man, I know you're a lover of movies, so you got to go see it. It's all in... Uh, it's not, I don't. It's in subtitles, or is it? It's a movie that is a historical uh, piece about uh, a Mayan takes place just before the Spanish showed up in South America, and it's a story of a family that gets raided by uh, in the in that day. You either lived in the jungle or you lived in the city, much like today, ironically. And it's the story of a of a young Mayan boy who is trying to rescue his wife. Uh, and it's a, kind of a long story, but what ends up happening is you get a great introduction into how the Mayans lived around 1500 AD. And one of the things that the Mayans were somewhat famous for were human sacrifices. Uh, and in fact, Mel Gibson described the scene and I'll, and I'll do the setup it's a great setup what the the elites would do in this Mayan culture was they knew because you know the Mayan calendar they're famous for their 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 uh, knowledge of, of time and mathematics and astronomy and it, that's their heritage that's their legacy the Mayans were known for their abilities and understanding star patterns long before Copernicus and Galileo were out there with measuring and looking at things the Mayans had already worked out a pretty consistent map on the patterns of, of the different solar bodies uh, but it wasn't something that everybody knew in Mayan culture it was only really for the upper elites the the, the ones that were in charge of everything, right? And so there was a period during the movie, which is depicted where they're showing people being sacrificed to the sun god. And Mel Gibson describes it this way. He says, The halting of the sacrifices at the onset of a solar eclipse is a carefully timed ruse by the Mayan ruling class. As precocious astrologers, the Mayans use their knowledge of celestial phenomena to control the underclass. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Now let's dig into that, and I'm, I'm leading you somewhere. So now that we know when we've studied archaeology, there's mounting evidence to support that the Mayans were well known for having these periodic sacrifices to the, the god Cenote uh, uh, Sagrado. Uh, and there was a specific rain god known as the Chak, C-H-A-A-C. And during a, a period of about 80 years, just prior to when the Spanish came and, and literally took over and subjugated the Mayans, destroyed their civilization by stealing all the gold and everything else, uh, they uh, were in the middle of a horrific drought that lasted well over 100 years. And you got to remember, this is Central America, the Yucatan, right? So these Mayan elites knew when there were going to be eclipses throughout the year because that's what they did. But they didn't tell the masses that they knew that there was going to be a, a lunar eclipse one day uh, or a solar eclipse. They would keep that information to themselves. But what they did do 
was they, genera- they generated and created a religion, one of many, that said that you had to make sacrifices. You had to literally give up your life or your head. And then only until the sun gods were pleased would they bring us relief from the heat and the dying crops. And this should have won Mel Gibson, by the way, an Academy Award because he depicted it with great accuracy. So I want you to think about that. An elite group of people who know something about science and they use that science to manipulate the masses into believing that they must make sacrifices in order to bring unity back to the universe and to please the gods. Now, does that sound interesting or familiar with you? Well, it's going to get a whole lot familiar because in about 10 minutes, we're going to be joined by a man named Guy Mitchell, and he is going to tell us why this whole climate science, energy movement, renewables is nothing but a farce that is intended to preserve the power of the elite, just like the Mayans, by instilling in the uh, community and the culture the need for the rest of of the population to make sacrifices because that's exactly what they're doing now in Sri Lanka. That's exactly what they're doing now in Germany. That's exactly what they're doing now in Belgium. You've got a ruling elite that are going around using science, which is interesting because it never is proven outside of the models of their computers. Everything that the scientists have said about global warming and carbon emissions and greenhouse gases, oh, it all looks good in theory on a model, but it's yet to be proven outside of the laboratory. Oh, they'll point to a hurricane here, or they'll point to a a storm over there, or rising sea levels or melting glaciers. But these are all temporary things that tend to revert back. For example, remember the ozone layer? Oh, it's going to destroy us all. We need to stop using. We need to stop using deodorant. We need to make a sacrifice. And then the ozone layer healed itself. Wow, it was like magic. And that's how stupid we are as people. And that's exactly what's going on here. You have a few people who actually have convinced themselves, by the way, or maybe not. Maybe they're just telling us that they're convinced so that we'll buy into it. But can't you see that now? You know, I've been on the air in 15 different markets and 20 different cities for the past 10 years, and I've been following the environmental movement, and I've been doing the interviews, and I've been doing the studies, and I took courses in, in, in uh, astrology, astronomy, uh, several, as a matter of fact, and in, in uh, astrophysical theory, and I'm here to tell you that you are being lied to, and never has it been more evident than today. So I am excited to bring on Guy Mitchell coming up in the next segment and try to bring some clarity to this because they are literally destroying us. The reason that you are making being forced to pay $6 an hour or $5 an hour is no different from when the Mayans were making men and women and children get their heads cut off to appease the sun gods to bring some relief to the drought. See, they believed in climate change, too. But their answer was to make human sacrifices to please the gods. Our answer is to make human sacrifices to please the crowd, the crowd that has been convinced 
the uh, woke left who are convinced that the only way we're going to save Mother Earth is by for everybody to stop using fossil fuels. And that always stuck with me about that Mel Gibson movie because he depicted something that just sort of, wait a minute, that's what's happening here. That's what we're doing now. We've got a small group, uh, namely the IPOCC, uh, a bunch of scientists. And by the way, if you're wanting to get a paper published or if you're wanting to get an assignment or a book deal and you come out with a book that says climate science is false, your career is over. It's as over as fast as the guy that comes out and says, hey, how about hydroxychloroquine for COVID? His career is over. Ivermectin, you're out. Therapy, you're out. We live in a strange world right now, my friend. We live in a world where science is no longer based on evidence. It's based on feelings and subjectivity. The whole science of transgenderism, I don't feel good in my body. How would you know? You've never been in another body. So, and yet that's supposed to be science. And people are buying into it. You know, the World Health Organization, the leading medical body that's, by the way, mostly funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which I did not know. They have come out now and said that there are more than two genders, that they recognize that the scientific evidence is that there are more than and there are multiple genders that we need to now accept. It's crazy. It's, it, it's like a friend of mine was telling me the other day. It's like there's two different realities going on right now on this planet. There's the reality of the people who want a reality the certain way they want it. And then there's the rest of us that know what the truth is. Or at least we think we know what the truth is. Or at least we're not losing our minds to these weird ideas about gender fluidity and climate change and how we all need to stop eating meat. And we need to get rid of nitrogen oxide, which is used in fertilizer because it hurts Mother Earth. I mean, we're, we're all going to starve to death. We're all going to figuratively have our our heads cut off until we please the sun gods. So let's get the scoop. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about, too. Some more foibles by Biden overseas we'll talk about. And a revelation that comes from J J John Bolton which actually uh, clears President Trump. We'll get to that and more. Stay tuned. Our, you know who uh, passed away today? I should mention this. He definitely deserves honorable mention since we play his music every day right here on the Robert Dobby Show. Uh, Marty Norman died. He's the composer who wrote the theme to the James Bond, you know, that we start off. That's a, that's a memorable one. Boy, talk about having a great legacy. I want to welcome our guest, Guy Mitchell. Wasn't there a singer named Guy Mitchell? Or am I thinking about somebody else? Anyway, a Guy is a real impressive. We've had him on before. We're going to talk about climate change. Guy, I want to tell you, uh, I don't know if you heard it. You may not have, but w I brought up the point about what the Mayans used to do. Uh, in order to trick their general population into believing that human sacrifice would end a drought. And it was because of their knowledge of astrology and the patterns of the sun and the moon that they knew when there would be a solar eclipse. Now, the, the people wouldn't know 
The people were simply told, you've got to keep making sacrifices. We need a few more heads. We need a few more heads to roll. And once we please the gods, the gods will answer us by putting the moon in front of the sun, and it'll all give us escape from it. And they would do that. And this was well depicted in the movie uh, Apocalypto, which Mel Gibson produced and written based on facts. Isn't that interesting that 500 years ago, you had the same scenario as you have today? A people with a little bit of science are using that science to convince people that they must make sacrifices and have pain in order to save the planet and please the gods. Isn't that fascinating to you? <laughs> yeah, I suppose there are a lot of similarities. It's uh, it, it certainly, uh, I'm not sure about the, the ancient culture, Mayan culture, but certainly in the case of politicians and regulators today, they would have they would have the population believe that for some reason carbon dioxide now has become our enemy instead of the carbon atom being our friend for millennia. And right. it's, it's just it's amazing. Now, your book is called Global Warming, The Great Deception. Uh, and, of course, you've got accolades, uh, University of Alabama, College of Engineering, uh, Pi Tau Sigma, International Honor Society of Mechanical Engineers. You know a few things. Uh, and all of this is coming to a head now because of what we're seeing with the EPA, which we'll get to, the uh, what we're seeing in Sri Lanka and what we're seeing in Belgium and now in Germany, have people having to ration energy. And it's all because we what? We've just blindly walked into this notion that we have to take drastic action in order to save the planet. How did we get so, so ignorant? That's my question. You know, that's... That's a good question, Jim. It, it, it's interesting. The, I guess the modern-day advent of this fraudulent global warming hypothesis began in 1988 when the United Nations formed the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, the IPCC. And since 1988, what the IPCC has done is essentially – uh, tried to convince people that an increase of carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere causes global warming. And there is absolutely no scientific basis for that claim. And they have been promoting that fraudulent hypothesis since that time. And certain world politicians, certain U.S. politicians have picked up on it. And uh, it, it's absolutely devo it's devoid of any scientific evidence whatsoever. I think the hockey stick and Al Gore forcing the Department of Education into introducing that, what you just described, as accurate science, uh, I think that was laying the foundation because all of those kids in 2002 that grew up in science and biology, all they were taught was greenhouse gases, greenhouse gases. But people don't understand it. Methane, oxygen, and hydrogen are the most common, abundant, and carbon are the most abundant elements on Earth. So how would Earth destroy itself with carbon? Carbon well, is out of the bottom of the ocean. Doesn't you know, it? it's, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely devoid of any scientific facts. Um, in my book, I, I state in my introduction that I have two purposes. Number one is to refute the fraudulent global warming hypothesis 
and the science, the pseudoscience that underpins it using what are first principles of the relevant sciences of thermodynamics, atmospheric physics, quantum mechanics, which has to do with the absorption of the uh, photon by uh, a long wave infrared photon by CO2 molecule, and then um, spectroscopy, which has to do with the absorption of various uh, electromagnetic radiation uh, spectra based on a lot of factors, uh, primarily the molecular structure of a, of a uh, uh, in this case, of the CO2 molecule. So when you look at the science, the science clearly refutes the idea that CO2 absorbs enough energy and re-radiates it back toward the Earth to warm the Earth. The other thing that, I, that that's amazing to me that doesn't get a lot of press is the fact that when you look at the worldwide temperature databases for the last 40 years for the, the relevant atmosphere, which is called the lower troposphere, it's the first eight kilometers of the atmosphere of the Earth, and the land mass in the oceans, they don't depict any warming. I mean, it's and so uh, it's, it's kind of like the emperor's not wearing clothes and nobody says, wait a minute. You say that there's this threat of global warming, but there hasn't been any warming. And so the science doesn't support it. The, the temperature database doesn't support it. And it's just managed to get traction from the mainstream media, uh, parts of the mainstream media who, who persist in promoting this uh, uh, hyperbolic existential threat to mankind and it's it's just it's amazing really um every day now when you listen to the radio or you watch tv and you hear the weatherman they constantly say historic records or record high that's all Mm -hmm. part of that messaging isn't it because people like have this uh innate drive to feel like they're in part they're part of some important movement and what better movement is there than to save the planet. You, you also mentioned in your book, and I want to encourage people to buy it, please be educated. It's called Global Warming, The Great Deception, Guy Mitchell. Global Warming, The Great Deception. You mentioned that they keep moving the data backwards. So they'll start at a point, uh, but they won't show you what happened previously to, say, 1950 as an example, that there was a there was a warming trend, you know, in the... 1850s or as a cooling trend but they'll only show you the data that substantiates what they want you to think which is that the temperatures are rising and that's and one Jim, of the ways that they do this right it's it's even worse in that what's happened is some of the curators of these databases like nasa for example has gone back and has adjust, what they call adjusted uh, historical data. They actually Hold on changed. right there. That's amazing. Let's continue this discussion. Hang on if you can. Guy Mitchell, we're talking climate change and the after effects. Are we being lied to? We'll continue this discussion. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the conversation that we're having with Guy Mitchell author of the book global warming the great deception we're covering a lot of ground and we gotta go i think i gotta go slow i can't keep up to you guy (laughs) Uh, uh, so where we left off is nasa 
organizations that you would normally trust have been known to fudge some of this data. Explain to us why NASA, which everybody loves, and and, and uh, NOAA, which everybody has, why would individuals within these organizations, why would they want to fudge the data to, to, uh, to reinforce this claim that carbon is causing the Earth to warm up? Well, you know, unfortunately, it probably all relates back to the issue of follow the money if you want to understand about climate science. Uh, there's probably been more than a trillion dollars spent on climate research uh, since the, uh, you picked the date, the 70s or 80s, with virtually nothing to show for it. And uh, one of the points that I make in my book, I quote, Dr. Richard Lindzen, who is a uh, retired um, physicist from MIT, spent 30 years as a Sloan uh, appointee, honoree of, of, of the physics chair. And Dr. Lindzen makes the point that a young academic or professional entering the field today in climate science, if you will, um, who opposed the, the consensus uh, that man's caused global warming would be creating uh, professional suicide. You wouldn't get funding. Uh, you would be ostracized from the ranks of your, your fellow climate scientists. And so there's a huge amount of peer pressure to uh, um, accept the consensus. Now, on top of that, what you have is is a case in, in certain organizations like NASA, and I document this in my book, who've gone back and adjusted historical data uh, ostensibly because it was uh, flawed in some respect, but it just so happens that they've adjusted the data to take what were uh, normal cycles out of the temperature to create the impression of global warming. The other thing that's important to understand is today, with the Metropolitan Surface Air Temperature Stations that are recording the supposedly the, the, the surface temperature, although it's taken uh, two meters above ground, some six feet, but the MSAT's temperature readings for the landmass are adjusted. They're adjusted for the time of day that the observations were made by volunteers, and they were and they're adjusted for what's called homogeneity, which means that if there's a temperature station that's uh, a mile down the road, and it reads something that's significantly different than what I get reading when I go as a volunteer to look at that MSAT, then they'll make an adjustment to to try to homogenize them to bring them closer together. So there's a huge amount of uh, opportunity, if you will, for uh, adjusting the data to reflect what one might choose to uh, reflect. What's the obsession with carbon? Is this really the end game about controlling energy and making it more expensive? Is that what's really you know, be behind this drive? You know, I, it, that's a that's a great question, and and that's that's something that I've asked myself because the carbon atom is <clears throat> absolutely one of the necessary elements for life, and it has been the boon of mankind for millennia. 
the first man that started a fire and threw a piece of wood on it and liberated the energy that was captured by photosynthesis in that wood um, beneficially used the carbon atom for, 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 for his welfare. And down through the years, whether it's been lignite, peat, coal, um, oil, natural gas, the carbon atom and the hydrocarbon bond have have been a boon to mankind. They've heated our hearts, they've heated our houses, they've heated factories, they've powered factories, they've powered ships to explore the world, airplanes, locomotives moving goods, trucks moving goods. And all of a sudden, what happened was, is, <clears throat> and, 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 and you can arguably trace when this first occurred, but there, there was this misconception that goes back to uh, Fournier and the idea of greenhouse gases that um, certain greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide uh, were detrimental to the environment. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that water vapor, which is a naturally occurring variable gas, just like carbon dioxide is, it, it, it has natural causation as well as anthropogenic as well as man-made causes uh, water vapor is the more absolutely is the variable gas that controls the earth's climate and co2 has virtually nothing to do with it but that's so, a matter of time and we have to remind people that the earth is three quarters water on yeah, the surface right. right and 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 water water vapor in the atmosphere is is the greenhouse gas there there are two primary greenhouse gases there's carbon dioxide which comprises about 0.04 percent of the atmosphere at about 410 parts per million and then there's water vapor which is about two and a half percent of the atmosphere on average at around 2500 parts per million so water vapor by far and away is the more effective greenhouse gas in moderating the temperature of the earth if we didn't the whole idea behind greenhouse gases is is they they're like a they serve as a blanket in the atmosphere for us to retain the heat that we get from the sun which is our heat source that comes in and it and, and it slows the exit if you will of that heat as it goes back into the atmosphere and ultimately into space so Greenhouse gases are necessary for uh, moderating the Earth's temperature, and 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 and, and water vapors. Uh, it's the predominant greenhouse gas. The CO2 has virtually no role, and you know methane and some of these other uh, aerosols. They 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 have virtually no role in controlling uh, or or moderating the Earth's temperature. Also, want to mention that the IPCC report does not take into consideration cloud cover uh, and the variables it presents with uh, heat displacement, cooling, rain, obviously. Uh, we heard not long ago 
John Kerry made the revelatory statement, the ocean breathes, <laughs> as, he just, as if he just found out. <laughs> yeah, the ocean exactly. absorbs a lot of heat, and that that's where they're now starting to, well, the ocean absorbs a lot of heat, so it's damaging the coral reefs. And uh, Is there any truth to any of that? I mean, is there? No, there's none whatsoever. The important thing to understand here is that um, the, the, the global warming hypothesis, a fraudulent global warming hypothesis, is based on man-made, is based on the uh, based on the view that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere emits long-wave infrared photons that heat the Earth's surface, and some people think heats the ocean. But here's the thing. Uh, scientific analysis uh, using spectroscopy, again, which is the science of measuring the absorption and and, uh, emission of electromagnetic radiation, uh, proves that the long-wave infrared photons that are emitted by carbon dioxide in the atmosphere can only penetrate the ocean surface 100 microns, which is about the diameter of the human hair. So it can have no effect on the ocean. I don't want to be rude and say goodbye now, so can you hang on through the break and we'll talk a little bit more? Is that okay? Sure. Hang on. Guy Mitchell. Stay tuned. I'm Jim Watkins. We'll be right back. Guy Mitchell is uh, a mechanical engineer by training, a distinguished engineer fellow by the College of Engineering, University of Alabama. He has a book out called Global Warming, The Great Deception. And just before the break, we were talking about this idea of the earth getting hotter and that science disproves the claim uh, and that it's actually water that has more to do with earth warming and retaining heat than carbon. And, uh, and then you were saying about the, uh, the oceans don't act. Uh, tell us the role that the ocean plays in preventing an overheating of the planet, if you could. Well, you know, it's important to understand, uh, and I point this out in my book, that fundamentally, <clears throat> excuse me, it is the world's oceans and the atmosphere, and primarily within the atmosphere, uh, the amount of water vapor and, 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 and cloud cover that control the Earth's climate. You know, we get our heat from the sun. The solar constant is 1,365 watts per meter squared. That's the amount of solar irradiance that we received at the top of our atmosphere. And so the sun, uh, the, I mean, the ocean can absorb sunlight down to depth of about 100 meters, about 330 feet. And so the, the uh, electromagnetic radiation that is emitted by CO2 in the atmosphere, it's called long, it's a long wave infrared photon, uh, can only penetrate the ocean's surface by 100 microns, which is about the breadth of a human hair. So CO2 emissions from the atmosphere can have no effect on 71% of the Earth's surface because that's 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, what happens is it, the, the, the thermodynamic interaction of the ocean with the atmosphere are very complicated, and they occur over long periods of time. You have 
you have ocean, you have what's an, uh, an important um, effect on polar ice is what's known as the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. It occurs about every 60 years. It's a cycle. It's well documented. About a two degree centigrade swing in the temperature of the ocean during that period of time. And when the ocean gets warmer, the polar ice melts. And when the ocean gets colder, the polar ice grows. And so these are natural it's a cycle. phenomena. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. natural phenomena. And they've, right. and they've been around for you know millennia. Millennia. This is why the uh, the, the Nor- Norwegians were growing tomato fields, you know, in the 1300s or the 1100s. Yeah. And they had During goats. The... It was warm. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. So tell us about two things. One, what should we be worrying about in terms of environmental causes? Where should we be putting our energy? Yeah, good question. Well, number one, <clears throat> we need to try to responsibly develop and produce our domestic sources of energy. We have large deposits of coal, oil, natural gas, shale oil, and these need to be responsibly produced. You know, the first thing people have to understand is carbon dioxide does not cause global warming. If you can get over that, then you realize that Fossil fuels are your friend, and we want to responsibly extract and refine and use those fuels uh, in the most cost-efficient and effective manner we can. We, we need to, uh, you know, pass laws that allow energy companies, well, the laws are already there, they don't need to be, that allow them to responsibly develop this source of uh, of energy. And there's absolutely nothing wrong, in my opinion. Uh, France, for example, has been generating more than 80% of their electricity from nuclear power plants for the last 50 years. So the last nuclear power plant was approved in the United States in 2012 by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the chairman voted against it. That was the first plant in 2012 that had been approved in 30 years. And here we have plants that are uh, nuclear plants all over the world that are being operated by developing countries and they're producing electricity. And we in the United States are so blind as not to see the opportunity there for clean energy. And there's nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with, with in, in, in the, in the proper context, uh, using wind and solar and the technologies can be and should be improved, just like batteries, the, the electric batteries and, and electric cars need to be improved. And and there's nothing wrong with advancing science. It just needs to be done according to sound uh, scientific and engineering principles and um, with good economic sense. So do you think do you the, think that Joe Biden really believes that by not accessing uh North American energy, shale, coal. Do you think he really believes in his heart that he is saving the planet? You know, I, I, I would like to think not. I mean, Mr. Biden is a politician of some, what, close to 50 years, and he is under a huge amount of pressure by the left wing of the Democrat Party. 
And who, they who are, benefits? Yeah, who benefits, in your opinion, from uh, this this insane drive to uh, decarbonize the planet? Who benefits? Yeah. Well, I, as I say in my book, and I think I do a pretty good job of documenting it. It's um, it's the primarily those that are engaged in the research. It gets funded by you know governments and and, and non governmental organizations. But it's all about the money. It's global investment firms. If you look at in 2004, when Al Gore and a partner formed Generational Investment Management in London, England, in 2004, one year before the Kyoto Protocol went into effect, which was the inaugural climate treaty that established the concept of cap and trade, trading carbon credits. Mr. Mm -hmm. Gore and his partner established the firm in 2004, the worldwide market for trading carbon credits was $10 billion with a B dollars. In 2019, it was $210 billion, and it was reported to be more than $800 billion at the end of 2021. So it's a huge commodities market, and global investment firms that are trading in carbon credits and offsets uh, carbon credits are issued by gov- by the UN or government. Offsets are sold on the open market. If you feel bad about your carbon footprint, you can go buy, and it's 100 tons. You can go buy 100 tons of offsets. But it's a big business. <laughs> it's like monopoly money. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 the thing about it, here's an interesting statistic, Jim. And in, in, in 2005, when the Kyoto Protocol went into effect. That was the first climate treaty that really tried to address the concept of greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide in, in particular. In, in 2005, it was in effect from 2005 to 2012. And the goal was to reduce worldwide carbon emissions by 5% below the 1990 level. Well, from 2005 to 2012, the years the Kyoto Protocol was in effect, worldwide carbon emissions went up 32%. Why? And and that's <laughs> and that and they were trading carbon credits. So here's a trick question. Uh, yeah. If you're a if you're a power plant operator and you can't change your basic process on how because you can't on how you generate electricity when you burn coal, uh, what do you do? Uh, let's say you emit 100 tons a year as a hypothetical example. What what do you do to become carbon neutral? You go out and buy 100 tons of carbon offsets. Now, does that keep you from emitting the carbon dioxide? No. No. Does it allow you to report an annual report that you're carbon neutral? Yes. It's silly. I mean, it's uh, it's nonsensical. Yeah, and that's kind of what's happening in Sri Lanka. They look good on the ESG report, but they're not growing any food and nobody's eating. So, yeah, I said what called, did, did, yeah. I think the president fled the country today, didn't he? I think he did. I remember reading that. Yeah, he's on his way to some Majorca or somewhere. Who knows? Uh, some yeah. small island in the Mediterranean. Global Warming, yeah. uh, the name of the book, uh, again, is uh, Global Warming, The Great Deception. You can easily find it. Do you have it in Kindle on Amazon? I yep. like Kindle. It's, okay, it's, good. On, it's, on, it's on Amazon.com, Global Warming, yeah. The Great Deception. And you can buy it in either a Kindle format, a paperback book, or it's coming out today in a hardcover. 
Okay. Oh, good. All right. Well, I, I, I'm vociferous in all this, and I want people to read it. The only way we're going to beat this, the, the, the great scam, the great deception, is by educating ourselves. And you've got to stop listening to these people that are telling us that the sky is falling because that's what they do. And uh, they, they rule through fear and panic, and, uh, and they make people believe. I guess it's just our human condition to want to be a part of something important, whether it's true or not. Global warming is the great deception. Guy Mitchell. Uh, again, global warming, the great deception. That's the name of the book. And Guy Mitchell, thank you again, sir, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you. We'll do it again. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, We didn't get to a lot of unfinished business, so we'll have to do it again tomorrow. And I appreciate you stopping by here on the Robert Dobby Show. We're having that conversation weekdays every day on CRN Talk and our family of affiliates across the country. Thanks for stopping by.